Hey, we're only going to take seven verses here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll take the first seven verses here because I know it's going to be tough just to get through these first seven verses. I hope you brought your Bibles. If not, you can certainly kind of put your little finger up there and the usher will be happy to get you a Bible to put in hand and uh, we'll be able to have you be able to follow along again we'll continue where we picked up last week um, in first timothy chapter three where we pick back up here Um, the subject here is church leadership now as we take a look at the scripture everything rises and falls with leadership i don't care if you're talking about the leadership within the house your home or leadership within the church it's very important that God wants to use a leader in that home and in that church to be able to care for and to minister to and to protect and to guide using God's word to the family. The Holy Spirit imparts gifts to believers for ministry. In the local church and among the gifts are some of them we see in the scriptures. Some are called pastors and teachers, noted in Ephesians 4.11. Some are helps and administrations in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Today we're going to see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, we're only going to take 1 through 7, and we also see in Titus chapter 1 as well, for your reading pleasures, go back and we can read that chapter, on the qualifications and, and uh, of what, how God uses men to lead in the home, but also in this case as the context, lead in the church. Now, when we take a look at these gifts, we find that you will find, as we talk about today, the bishops slash, as we will learn, elders, pastors, there's different terminology, but all synonymous of the same position of leadership within a church body. In that church body, we will see, especially when it comes to elders or pastors, you will find that some pastors are the pastors slash teacher emphasis but we also see that God also raises up these leaders to be a helps or administration in regards to leadership within a church body now Paul in this section of chapter 3 describes the bishop in verses 1 through 7 describes the deacon verses 6 through 13 and describes the believer the church in verses 14 through 16 itself Now here in chapter 3 verse 1 in the first seven verses we're going to see 16 qualifications that a pastor slash elder slash bishop has to meet before they are ordained and become someone of a spiritual leader within the church. 16 qualifications. We'll go through those qualifications, and then next week, Lord willing, we're going to then take the deacon, another leadership position, and those are 14 qualifications for the deacon, and then we will move on in the latter part of chapter 3, and we will talk also about the believer, the church, and their responsibility as well. 
Now, Paul had just in chapter 2, or that part of the letter that he was writing, discussed and was writing about the women are not to hold the positions of leadership authority in the church. But he does not want to leave the impression that just because you're a man, that's because you're a gender, that somehow you automatically qualify to be in a spiritual leader in the church. That is so far from the truth. Just because you're a man does not automatically put you in leadership of any church. You must meet the qualifications as we see outlined here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but also in Titus. And as we take a look at this qualification, no man is qualified to be a spiritual leader just because he wants to be. Or he asked to be. The offices of the church in the New Testament uses four terms, as I've referenced already here so far. And that is here he references in the scripture of the term is written here, at least in the New King James Version, bishop. Bishop is episkopos, means overseer, which emphasizes the fact that the leadership is overseeing the local church and is as much is responsible for the spiritual well-being of those in the church. And we see that played out if you read in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28, is referencing these overseers of the local church in a spiritual leadership position. But the same word used in the scripture we see in Titus 1.9 is the word elder, or presbyteros, presbyteros, which places an emphasis upon the authority that the leadership has to teach and rule over rightly in the church to exhort sound doctrine and refute those who come against the local church uh, and, and contradict the truths of the word. The elder or the bishop or the pastor, again, there's an emphasis here. The bishop is the overseer of the emphasis of that position. The elder is the the ruling uh, position or the, uh, the teaching position to exhort the doctrine or to correct those who come in with false doctrine. And that same position is also referred to as pastor or poimain. Poimain means shepherd. That person is, that man is to be able to be a shepherd over and watch over the flock for the physical kind of perspective of the church in regards to the emphasis being the responsibility of, of, of placing and moving that flock and making sure overall that that is uh, protected um, and that position is responsible for that. It's a responsibility of those in the leadership to do for the sheep what they cannot do for themselves and to make sure that they are in good spiritual condition. That is what a pastor is to do. Now, all three positions really talk about the same position. That position of leadership must be an overseer, must be someone who is going to stand for the truth and to and teach the truth. And it also is a position of this man must be have a, a perspective of, of the flock as a whole to make sure the flock is protected and watched and cared for. That is very distinct and very important that you understand all three aspects of that position. 
Because some men will rise to the occasion and a calling in their life and may have a more of an emphasis of just overseeing or may have an emphasis of just teaching or, and some have an emphasis of just a pastoring or watching the flock. But I believe a pastor slash elder slash bishop must have all three in his heart and mind to really be an effective leader within the local church. Note that I do not use the word reverend. Reverend is in the only seen in the King James Version in Psalm 111.9, and it's only seen there, and it's only referencing the, the characteristic of God's holy name. Holy, reverent uh, God's name. Never is that word in reference or related to a position or a definition of man. So that's why you will not hear the word reverend spoken from my mouth in regards to a position. The function of the office of this bishop is twofold. Teaching and ruling. We see that again in 1 Timothy 5.17 as well in regards to that. And a pastor is to be able to teach the people what the word of God teaches and give direction as how to apply that appropriately or accomplish that through the local church. That is what the elder, pastor, bishop position is supposed to do. So when people come in and say, what is the, why is the pastor even giving me that kind of suggestion? Or why does he seem to, to correct me when I said this? And he lovingly corrects and says, well, have you considered this scripture? Because that is the position that this uh, spiritual leader is to hold, is to look over the spiritual condition of those that God has called to that local church. And they're to know you. They're to have fellowship and get to know you so you can see where they can help and guide you, to feed you properly the spiritual truths of God. And so that's why we always encourage fellowship, because how else can I get to know you if you're not spending time here in fellowship in the, as we gather together? How would I get to know you? To be able to help you. God brought you here for a reason and a purpose. To be able to be part of a body. To use your gifts, spiritual gift or gifts he's given you when you got born again. And I want to help you plug in to make sure you're able to do that. Now that's important because as we can take a look at this. As we see here in verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires and the positions of a bishop he desires a good work. Notice here that this position desires a good work. That starts, that's, that's a calling on that person's life. They're sitting there and they're just happy coming in and coming and going and picking, choosing what day and they're going to go to church or maybe they're not going to go to church. All of a sudden they just desire this good work and they're not even sure where that's coming from. It's just desires to teach the word of God. They desire to share the word of God. They desire to share the gospel of who Jesus Christ is in their life and how someone else. And all of a sudden this good work just comes and dominates their life. That's an indication that God may have given a calling to that man to be a bishop within the local church. You don't have to work up some kind of emotion to make this work. Matter of fact, the person who has, is, has a calling, they're like shocked in themselves. You've heard me say it all the time. I am still shocked that God called me to be a pastor. Shocked. 
Now, some of you might still think I'm, it's, you're shocked that I'm a pastor. Right? I know. But as we take a look at the scriptures, he, we see he desires a good work. A spiritual leadership in the church isn't all about titles. It's not about a position. It's not about an occupation. It's not just, a, I got to need a job. And that sounds like a pretty good job to me. Because, you know, it just seems fun. <laughs> you got to talk to me. If you think it's fun, we got to talk because it's, it's more than fun. It's absolutely the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. As you pour in your life out into someone else's life and to help them, it's so rewarding, it's unbelievable. But at the same time, very challenging. So you don't chase this position of bishop, or as a pastor, as we would say, for titles or positions or for honor or for glory, to get attention. It's about work. That's what a position is as a bishop, is work. A pastor works. Jesus said in Mark 9.35, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That's work, my brothers and sisters. That's work. That's not something you just, because you have a title, everyone works for you or somehow caters to you. That is the furthest from that position. So if that's in your mindset, that's, that's just not true. A pastor works, a good work, but it means hard work. The ministry is certainly not for idle or passive man's occupation. Oh, I think I'll get a position as a, as a pastor and I'll just go to school and I'll just sit back and everyone just kind of takes care of me and I just have to show up once in a while, once a week, and, and it's no big deal to me, right? This is going to be a great job, a guaranteed money, blah, 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 blah. That's the furthest from the position. Leaders are to lead. They're not to be passive in the church. Men, you must lead in the house. You cannot be passive in the house. You must lead. That's what God's called you to do. And so when you take a look at church leadership, church leadership leads others by their godly example and by their teaching of the God's word. We see that in Hebrews 13, 7. Spurgeon says it very clearly. He can say it much more boldly than I probably can in his words. But if you know Charles Spurgeon, he says this. What is the use of a lazy minister? He is no good either to the world, to the church, or to himself. He is a dishonor to the noblest possession or profession that can be bestowed upon the sons of man. Now, Get around under his teaching. You think sometimes I teach pretty straight and forward. Get under Charles Spurgeon's teaching and you can really hear it the way it is. You're just a lazy minister. Get out of the ministry. If you're looking to just get something to get glory and position and just take it easy for an occupation, get out of the ministry. Because it's not the position that God describes in the scripture. You need to work hard, man. We see here in 1 Timothy 3, 2, right in the beginning of, of, of two, uh, verse 2, it says, it talks about the qualifications here. Uh, the bishop then must be. It's not a should be, let me think about it. But notice the words here, must be. God has specific qualifications for leaders in the church. Leaders are not chosen at random. 
They're not chosen because their seniority in the church. Oh, I've been here longer than you. That means I get to have that position. That's not how it's, that's not the qualifications. Nor just because you volunteer more than anybody else. Or nor because they aspire to the position because you feel like it. Or even if it's because you are a natural leader and everyone sees you're a natural leader because you're somehow a CEO of a position or you're head of running this or doing this and somehow that must be qualify you to be uh, a pastor. No, it's not in the scripture. Instead, they should be chosen primarily on God's qualification listing here in verses 2 through 7. Also in Titus chapter 1. That qualifications of a godly character qualifications matched up with the calling that God has placed on their heart to give them a desire for a good work in this line of spiritual leadership. And the fact that the spiritual giftings of helps or administration and pastor and a teacher, all of that must come together as a package before someone steps out and becomes and is ordained as a pastor. Now, let's go through the qualifications here, because as you think about this, so many times, especially young men will say, I want to be a pastor, but I don't know how I'm going to go to seminary. Well, seminary is not a qualification for you to be a pastor. Being a good talker doesn't make one qualified to be a spiritual leader. Natural or even spiritual gifts alone in themselves do not qualify one for spiritual leadership. God may put a calling on someone's life, that man, but that man then needs to be tested and grow so that they have the, the godly characteristics or qualifications that we're going to read that must be mature in their life before they're placed in that position of spiritual leadership. It doesn't matter how much money they have given to the church. They are not given a position of leadership because of that. It's not how much volunteer time you've done and how the hard work you've done doesn't automatically qualify you to be in a position of leadership in the church. What qualifies a man for spiritual leadership in church leadership is one of here that we will see godly characteristics that have been developed by God in that person's life. And we're going to read those now. Let's start here in verse 2. At the end of 2, they are to be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil." Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. 
So let's talk about each one of these and we'll take the time to do this in our remaining of our time so that next week we won't have to cover a lot of these. We'll just have to cover the some additional ones or specific ones that pertain to the other leadership position in the church called the deacon. But here we see blameless is the very first thing that Paul mentions here. This word literally means nothing to take hold of. There's nothing someone to grab a hold of in that person's life that can say to, to you and to me or those outside, even in the church or outside church, it says something's not right in that man's life. That, there's sin in that man's life that still dominates and he's not letting it go. There must be nothing in his life that Satan or the unsaved person can take a hold of and use it against the church body. And this is a broad term for a man who lives a righteous life that can be seen as righteous and no one can stand up and rightfully accuse the man of grievous sin that still inhabits that man's life. The person needs to be blameless. 1 Timothy 3.10, speaking about deacons, Paul used the same phrasing being found blameless, but it implies blameless is demonstrated by a track record of behavior. That's how, as a senior pastor, before I will ordain someone, I watch their life in all circumstances over a period of time and to listen to what, what other people say about that person that helps to understand if that person's living a life that is in line with the godly characteristics or not, especially around blameless. No man is sinless. I'm not saying someone who's to be a pastor is sinless, but he must strive to be blameless or above reproach, the scripture says. The second qualification we see is the husband of one wife. The idea here is of a one-woman man. It is not that a leader must be married. That's not a qualification. If so, Jesus and Paul would not be qualified in the church today because neither one of them were married. Nor is the idea that a leader should, could never remarry if his, if his wife had passed away or was biblically divorced. That does not disqualify them from being a pastor. The idea is that his love, this man's love and affection and heart is given to one woman, and that being his lawful and wedded wife at that moment in time. This means that the biblical leader is not an adulterer, they're not a playboy playing around, playing the field, does not show romantic or sexual interest toward another woman, including a depictions or images of pornography. That would disqualify someone who is, is caught up in that as well. Nor was this regarding polygamy. Why? Because even in during this period of time, Christians were not allowed to have polygamy. So it wasn't someone trying to justify what you could hear out there at times. People say, well, we're not, you know, they can't have polygamy anymore. Well, no, they weren't even allowed to do as a Christian anyway. So it wasn't Paul referring to polygamy. He's referring to someone who is married, who is now married to this one woman, and that this one woman is everything to him. He's not looking at other and for other women. 
That is important in regards to the position of a pastor. So it's clear that a man's ability to manage his own marriage and home indicates the ability to oversee a local church. The next uh, qualification is temperate. The idea is of someone who is not given to extremes. They are reliable, trustworthy, and you don't have to worry about some wide range or of shifting of direction or emotions and moods in his life. He's consistent in the things and how he lives his life. Sometimes people call him, he's predictable. Some people look at that as being a bad thing. But in the leadership, it is a good thing. You can pretty much, he's predictable. You know how he's going to, you know. That is not a bad thing. We call it here in the scriptures, temperate. And we see in 2 Timothy 4, 5, temperate in all things. That means he keeps his head about himself regardless of the situation. Especially when there's a crisis going on or something that was on track and it goes, falls apart. Does he lose his mind over this thing? Or is he really temperate in this part of his life, but when it comes outside of the church and he's out there living his life up, man, you, you have no idea what he's going to do. He's supposed to be the same man inside and outside the church when it comes to the godly characteristics of that man. The next one is sober-minded. This describes a person who is a, a, able to think clearly, and with clarity. They're not always constantly joking things off or laughing things off. When serious subjects come up, they just laugh it off and they just make it, they make it almost like a joke. Now, Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe, great teacher, he says it this way. This does not mean he has no sense of humor or that he's always solemn and sober. Someone, with, as I will add here, someone stiff-necked. But rather, Wiersbe says, it suggests that he knows the value of things and does not cheapen the ministry or the gospel message by his foolish behavior. That's what it means to be sober-minded. The next qualification is of good behavior. The idea is orderly. We see this same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, describing the orderliness or the modest. The word modest is here of good behavior. They're to be modest. Perhaps the word dignified is also used in that definition. And it's the best sense of term here used for the pastor should be dignified. The pastor should be organized in his thinking and how he lives his life should be orderly, modest, as well as his teaching and preaching should also be the same. The next one is hospitable. It means that he treats strangers and his best friends alike. 
He welcomes one another into his home and into the lives. He's, that's what means the gift of hospitality. You have the, again, it's a gifting that God gives someone in this position because they need to have the ability to not only treat their friends warmly and welcome them into their home and their lives to be able to talk about, but he's also willing to do it with strangers as well. If you're not willing to talk to strangers and don't want strangers anywhere around you, you have not been given the hospitality. And you have not obviously been given the ability or a calling on your life to be a pastor. Because you meet strangers all the time. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and we're supposed to reach the lost people you've never met before. Next one is the ability to teach. Teaching the Word of God is one of the pastor's main ministries. Skilled enough in the Bible to teach either in public or one-on-one -on -one setting. Many times people believe if you're a pastor or an elder that you must be able to uh, call to come up and teach from the pulpit. Not always true. God calls people in the position of that elder, that pastor position, maybe not as a teaching of, from the public perspective, but it could be one-on-one -on -one exhortation and teaching. They may be raised up in the church as a church leader to be an administrator of that church. And their focus is around administration, around the helps aspect of things, but doing one-on-one -on -one counseling that's the position that God has them within that local church. Next is not given to wine. The idea is of not being addicted to wine or intoxicating drink. This verse in itself does not prohibit godly leadership from drinking alcohol beverage. But it clearly discourages it in that position. The man does not feel or desire that they must, must or I want a drink. If that person says, I must drink or I want to drink, then you're not going to be qualified to be in a position of a spiritual leader within the church. Doesn't mean you can't. It just is discourages it. Why? Because can you imagine if I was given to, I must have a drink of wine every time I have dinner. Or I want to have a drink every time I have dinner. Can you imagine if I got a call after drinking a glass of wine and says, Pastor, someone just died. Can you meet me here as immediately at the, at the hospital to minister to the family? I just lost out. What God has called me to do is to go meet people at the time of need to minister to them at their darkest moments of their life. How can I do that? Because I just want or I must have because I, am, I have liberty, man. You're in the position of leadership. You give up those things for the sake of others. And it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. I know it's challenging because in the culture today in many churches, you can even find a church today that you can drink while the service is going on. That's how crazy it's gotten out there. Or the pastor's up here with his glass of wine and said, I'm really chilled, let's open the word together. That's extreme, I understand, but it's more prevalent than you probably know. 
But see, understand the fact that Paul is advising here, because if you look at the scripture in 1 Timothy 5.23, we will see Paul actually telling Timothy, the pastor Timothy, to use wine for medicinal purposes, because in that time, that's what they needed to have to help them from a medical perspective. So that indicates at this time when Paul's writing this, he's not talking about total abstinence from this, uh, this alcohol. If it demanded for medicinal purposes, if it demanded for the fact that there was no clean water to drink at that point in time. But here, there's a difference between the culture at that time versus today. At that time, culturally, that was acceptable because in the ancient biblical days, they needed to use that for medical purposes or for clean something to, something to drink because water was not available to clean to drink. But there's a difference between that and sporting, supporting the alcohol industry of today. Paul's admonition or example is one of very clear guidance from him. If you go back and read Romans chapter, 12, or chapter 14 today, specifically Romans 14, 12. Ponder on that today. The next qualification is not violent. This is a man who is not given to violence either publicly or privately. A man who can let God fight his cause, and he goes silent. I don't need to fight against flesh and blood. This is all principalities and darkness of this world that's coming against me. I'm just going to let the Lord deal with this. I don't need to be violent and, and prove my point and, and strike back. A pastor does not have to do that. Why? Because I'm very confident that God is going to take care of this situation according to how he best sees it played out. Plus, I want to win that person who might be coming against me to the Lord. Why would I want to burn a bridge and not be able to be used by God to help that person to know Jesus and to surrender all? Also, qualifications, not greedy for money. Paul will say more on this in chapter 6 of verse Timothy. But it's possible to use the ministry as an easy way to make money. Some people get into the ministry because it's a job and it's the easiest way they think in their minds to make money. Not the reason why you get into the ministry. And it's not a qualification for that. It's because pastors are not paid a lot of money. Do you know that? probably statistically in survey is one of the lowest paid profession out there today so you don't do it for the money and if you are doing it for the money it's because you are using some that position somehow to some way to make a personal gain and god will will have to deal with that with you next one is gentle you also see it maybe in your scripture in your in your bible uh, version patient a pastor is to be patient or to be gentle. The kind of man who takes Jesus as his example. Jesus was gentle. He was, he was patient. He wasn't some superhero that people sometimes you know, look as, as it is. But the pastor must listen to people and be able to take criticism 
without reacting. Because in the position of, of a pastor, a spiritual leader, you will be critically looked upon and criticized more than you think you th- think it happens. It happens. And as a pastor, you cannot be anything but gentle and patient. Gently, because you want to patiently and gently work with those who criticize and come against you and have a critical spirit. You want to win them back to Christ and to think the way Christ thinks in regards to the situations. They're also not quarrelsome. The kind of person who is not always fighting over something or over other and trying to get ahead. Pastors are to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. We must, as a pastor, learn to disagree without being disagreeable. That is an important qualification. Next is not covetous. This is encompassing more than just money. He's not just coveting money uh, in just that alone. But a covetous man is never satisfied with anything. Always looking for more. Always demanding, and, uh, demanding something more or different for themselves personally. I want it my way. Do it this way. I want more. It's never good for me. Or good enough for me. A man who is constantly dissatisfied is not fit for leadership among God's people. We must learn to be content. Contentment is great gain. And we must have that as a, as a qualification as a pastor. Next one is who rules his own house well. The godly leader demonstrates his leadership ability first in his own home. Paul recognizes that it is in the home where our Christianity first is demonstrated to know if you're going to even be able to qualify to be a spiritual leader within God's house. Now it's true that a child that you're raising may rebel against even the most wonderful home environment that they were created in. But the question as a senior pastor, if I'm looking at someone who's going to, before I ordain them, is, and I watch what's happening and I see their children rebelling against the authority of their father and their mother, but especially their father, then I have to take a look. Is it the environment or is it the child itself? Because the rebellion, because of parents, that's causing this rebellion to, to play out? Or is it in spite of their job as parents? And that must be determined and questioned before to see if they meet the qualifications to be a, a spiritual leader within the church. But if a man's child or children cannot obey and respect that father in the household, then his church that God is appointing him to be a leader in will more than likely not respect or obey his leadership. The pastor cannot be one thing at home and another thing in a church. 
The next qualification is not a novice. Novice here, this word means one newly planted, or what we refer to as a new convert or a new believer. It's referring to this young Christian man that is on fire for the Lord, excited about being saved, just pouring into the word of God, cannot help but share the gospel and just absolutely tell everyone about about the Lord and what he's done and freed him from the sins of bondage. How exciting it is when we see new converts excited to tell their friends and family what God has done in their life. Now, I'm not saying young in age. I'm saying young in the faith. You could be very young and and be in your 50s and just come to the Lord and you're a young Christian in the faith. You're a novice. And as exciting as it is to see this novice just go out and share the gospel and how quick do you say they should be in charge of something in the church. The scripture is very clear. No, 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 no. Why? Because they haven't been tested. They just got their roots just planted and they're starting to show growth and it's exciting. But we have to watch over time to allow them to get their spiritual roots deep down into the depths to be solidly planted because testing will come. We also know in the scripture to promote a novice too quickly gives occasion to the great sin of Pride. Pride, which is the devil's crack and opportunity to bring that man down. So we're don't we're not lightly on when we ordain someone, someone is a novice. This person who is going to be ordained as a leader in the church is mature spiritually and they meet the qualifications and they're not a novice before we lay hands on them to ordain and then the good testimony these characteristics must be evident to all who are watching that man's life even unbelievers see that the potential leader must be a good christian outside the walls of the church It's easy. You just have to spend time with that brother. Take that brother with me to go shopping at Home Depot or take him go to some place and just watch and and get around his friends or co-workers. Somehow being around him, people who are non-believers will say, you know, did you know he was a spiritual leader of the church? That doesn't surprise me, man. He just loves, he talks about God all the time. He's one of the most faithful people I have working on my staff at the, at the job. Friend, he says, oh, he's always there. He's willing to do whatever it takes to help you, even work hard. I mean, you'll hear the testimonies even of non-believers of the person, and it's not surprising to them because it's who he is. The character is who he is 24-7, regardless of the environment that he finds himself in. The question is, does the pastor pay his bills? 
That's a, a good question when, if you have a good testimony. No, the pastor never pays his bills. And when you do do work, he's always trying to, to get over on something saying and trying to use his position to try to get something free. He's always trying to do something. Should not be. It should not be. He should have a good reputation among unsaved people with whom he does business with. Now we must keep in mind, no pastor ever feels that he is all that he ought to be based on these qualifications. Never. I've never, I've never been in a position where I say, I know these positions and I'm perfect in every single one of them. I never fall short of any of these things 24-7. You know, that's just pride if I got to that point of thinking that. But none of these qualifications should be in the negative habitually. And those who are watching my life or that person's life to be a spiritual leader needs much prayer from everyone who's watching that person's life. Much prayer. It is not easy to serve as a pastor, as an elder, as a bishop. That, it's not easy to be in that spiritual leadership position. You live in a fishbowl view of everyone. And so you must pray. I ask for your prayers. And I pray as in the days to come and I reveal to you additional leaders who are under and being trained up and I see a calling on lives, I'm going to bring them forward. I want you to know who they are because I want you to be praying for them that God would confirm and that we would be able to ordain and place them in positions of leadership in this church. Why? Because it's much easier if your character or that man's character is all God wants him to be. Amen?